welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. This is episode 115. 115. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, it's been a uh, week's getting started off pretty good, man. How's your day going so far? Good, good, good. Everything's going well. Um, busy week. A lot of news last week about the ducks we're going to have on um, some duck discussion today. So that should be of interest. But first, Josh, we have a quick note to thank our sponsor, which is the insurance brokers. We're living in 2019, Josh. We talk about this a lot. Um, we want to be able to connect with people, use technology. The insurance brokers are doing that. If you want to get a digital quote, you can do that without having to get on the phone, wait online, stuff like that. Um, I know these people, they've been listening to the show, as I tell you, offline for years now. Basically, some of our first listeners. And they said, we heard you had a sponsorship available. We want to put our name out there. So if you're wanting commercial, personal, life, whatever it may be, need to talk to the folks at the insurance brokers. You can find them on Instagram at the underscore insurance underscore brokers or on twitter at the insurance brk we'll link to both of those in the show notes be sure to tell them we sent you josh um a lot going on man a lot of crazy news out there and it's uh you know it's uh it's an interesting time to put it mildly we do have one thing to note. i know we've had some listeners who mentioned about meeting up with us and we are looking to go up to tulsa here pretty soon so if you have any tulsa listeners need to hit us up on linkedin and let us know um, so Josh and I can get you on the schedule. I think next couple of weeks we'll be up there. So just let us know, and we'll be sure to pencil that into our schedule when we're in Tulsa. That's right. And I may be uh, maybe heading out to Midland uh, again this week. So uh, if uh, anybody's listening, reach out to me. I'm not sure exactly what day it's going to be yet, but um, I met up with you're one listener. That Nate's gonna get this, you're presuming Nate's going to get this out this week. So don't yeah. – yeah. assuming Nate, this is the week of uh, – the 29th, so assuming Nate gets it out this week and all that, then they might can get in hold of you. Well, there's, uh, I'm excited about the meeting we have coming up uh, and just a little bit talking about the Ducks. But uh, our good friend David, he actually released a uh, article, a couple articles actually. One was about some information in the Gulf. In the Gulf. Uh, but the other was about U.S. shale and basically the challenging times that the industry is facing He's been in the industry for a long time. I think he dated back to 1987 with the job that he had. And he just mentioned how the landscape for the oil and gas industry has shifted. Uh, basically, each decade, there's just a, a, a different roll call of major oil and gas folks. And it was interesting to read through the article to get some of his perspective on how he's seen the industry change so much over the last 25 or 30 years. And uh, he actually mentioned meeting with... Uh, an old friend, Ryan, and I know you had met with him at one point. You think he's talking about you there? I'm young. I'm not old. <laughs> I'm just kidding, David. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. It wasn't me. It was not me. It was not me. So, no, no, no. I don't know. It was a good piece, though. You know, he, and he has, um, I think the thing that, that kind of take away for me, Josh, was part of what he's alluding to here. And I know we have some listeners, um, like our buddy Speakner, who's kind of on, you know, one side of things saying, Hey, this is going to end very badly for oil and gas companies. And you have some folks on the other side who are saying, Hey, drill, baby drill, but it doesn't matter. And yet folks are kind of everywhere in between there. I think if I understand what David's point is more or less is that it goes up, it goes down. 
And that's part of the market process that companies, and he, and if you go read the piece, and Nate will link to it in the show notes. Um, if you go read the piece, he talks about, you know, their company, where they were, um, you know, they went through kind of a downtime, even though it wasn't, wasn't kind of expected. And then they, you know, re, uh, revamped and, you know, kind of, kind of changed positions. I, I do think where we're at with the, with the, with the shell companies today is, is a little bit different. It's a, and part of that is because there's so many of them and you have so many names out there that people can kind of track where, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, this, the, the market dynamics are different. The thing he does touch, he touch on, um, and, I, and I thought was important that we need to remind ourselves is, and we've talked about this on the show a couple of times, is that this, the, this fracking shale boom industry is still new. It's still new. And, and, and I think a lot of the ways that we talk about the news and how the news used to react, how the news react now, um, all those things I think are fundamentally different. And we're still kind of walking our way through how that's going to change things. And so if you do have... Um, you know, these, these fracking companies that go out of business, they start to, um, go bankrupt and, and it goes back to like it was, which I don't think it will, but it goes back to like it was 20 years ago. Okay. It's one thing. But if we kind of go through this ebb and flow of companies that are getting bought, they're getting sold, um, they're going through bankruptcy, whatever. I, I think that the market is still trying to grasp around that. And, and it goes to this other issue, which is the, the crude quality right now today. But I think that that's, that's something that's kind of tied in there loosely that, that folks aren't really hitting on. But I thought it was a good piece just to kind of remind us that, hey, this is up, this is bad. Now, the only thing I would say is, again, when you're reading oil and gas articles, you got to remember the perspective. Dave is talking about from a from a very big perspective. It doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that it's okay for you know the guy on the ground who's out there working on a rig. You know, it might it might not be very good for him um, if some of this ha- if, if it kind of works out in a certain manner. So, um, got to keep that in mind as well. You know, Ryan, you mentioned those uh, crude quality. I, any listeners out there that uh, knows much about it, I, I really want to get some information articles and some uh, some guys to come on talk about that because there's the, they were supposed to be building some refineries here that could handle the lighter, sweeter crude because we were having to ship it over for them to process it at, at some point. And I read an article that, that had a different take on that, and I forget where I read it. It's probably been two weeks uh, they were talking about uh, different crew qualities and, and how well, – don't want to go into it too much, but we need to – I think next week I'm going to try. I don't know if we got guests coming next week or not, but I want to try to uh, to jump into that because there's all sorts of things that are tied into those um, – the crew quality and, and what we're having to do and ship it and mixing it and all that. that um, it could change things a little bit because – Right now, the Permian producing the lighter, sweeter crude is making things a little difficult for us to be able to process all in-house, if I, if I understand the, um, the situation clearly. And Sergio Chapa, he recently released an article, um, Saltwater Disposal Wells Make Up Nearly One-Third of New Well Permits. Um, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about this, and I, and I forget the county where they were having a little bit of seismic activity where they started moving uh, northwest uh, away from this particular county. But there's a lot of great information in here. Um, obviously, saltwater disposals are uh, a huge part of, of the drilling permits and have been for um, at least the, the past year. But there's lots of good information, too, about Permian Basin. Uh, Midland Exploration Company, Summit Petroleum, they're about to do six new horizontal wells in Upton County um, and several others in here. I think there's a conventional wells that are um, mm-hmm. that are getting ready to, to I think, Dallas Oil Company, uh, that they're getting ready Dominion. to do some stuff, too. So, 
Yeah, that's Dominion. Dominion's going to do that. I just don't know why Sergio's got to throw the Barnett under the bus, you know, where we're at, Josh. It's almost like when he left the San Antonio Business Journal, now he's at the Houston Chronicle, he's always picking on less folks in the Barnett all of a sudden. You know, he left us alone for so long, but now it's like every week he's got to point out that we're not drilling, and I kind of take it personal, Sergio, to be quite honest with you. He did put in here, though, that um, Atmos is looking at an underground storage well in uh, Henrietta, uh, south of Henrietta in Clay County, and so that would be interesting to see how that pans out. You know, we worked on a storage facility years ago. God, I can't remember. It's probably been 10 years ago uh, in northern Louisiana. And they were going to, re, you know, uh, go in there and put a storage facility in anyways. And the prices were so low, they were going to buy it, store it, and then sell it, and prices got higher. And the prices stayed so low for so long that they eventually can't, can't cancel the project because they never figured that they were going to be able to do it. But, yeah, Sergio, once again, has his drilling report. And this is, you know, it's good stuff. And if you're looking for uh, business development leads, Sergio's giving them out to you for free. Look at that. Man of the people. <laughs> Yeah, mentioned those uh, those drilling permits. Uh, there was two hundred and eighty six filed in Texas, ninety five were filed by fifty uh, separate companies seeking to develop new injection wells for oil field wastewater. So just to give some numbers there, a article came out uh, this week that I thought was uh, was pretty interesting. This is from a study done in Colorado, I believe. Um, Colorado School, uh, School of Public. So I, I looked at about four or five articles. It was first released in a Denver um, Denver article, but the, yeah, it's Colorado School of Public Health. They put the they did a study that showed that people that are living in or near where drilling activity is heavy have a uh, forty to seventy percent higher chance of birthing children with congenital heart defects. So I, the the you know obviously we we want to cover any kind of news that's coming out on the environmental side. Uh, Ryan, the thing that stands out to me with some of this uh, is, you know, first of all, Colorado, we had some lawyers that were on and we talked about the bill they were trying to pass that prohibited any oil and gas activity within so many feet of schools, hospitals, daycares, where people are, any, any type of public place. And that state has also produced a study uh, citing that you know, if, if you're pregnant and you have a baby and you live within so many feet of where someone is you know, drilling oil and gas, that your chances of having a baby with congenital heart disease is 40 to 70 percent higher. Now, I just want to draw attention to the fact that that um, it's not a coincidence that these two things are coming out of the same place. And it makes you wonder which one's coming first. Is this an issue where someone is painting a target around the arrow and they are trying to support their um, their proposal to stop oil and gas with the scientific study, or is it vice versa? Or is it the scientific study that's uh, coming first and it's leading them to want to prohibit oil and gas? That's just one thing, Ryan. You had a couple of thoughts that you mentioned offline that I thought were interesting as well. Um, but it's definitely something to keep note of for us in the oil and gas industry of what what's going on behind the scenes and what people are uh, supposing to be the case and, and putting on as reasons for trying to prohibit oil and gas drilling. Yeah, and just to be clear, Josh and I are not saying that the study is right or wrong. We don't we don't know. I think a lot of times when you look at these studies, there's just it just actually leads to 
more questions than it does anything else. And one of the things I was talking, and I have not read the complete study, so don't, we'll link to it in the show notes for you guys to go check it out. Um, you can actually, it's in the article. We'll, we'll, we'll click through the article to the actual study and go read it. Um, but just reading through the article at bits and pieces here, one of the questions I have is, you know, if you, you know, you, it seems, again, from what I could detect, first off, these are Colorado wells from 2005 to 2011. Um, one of the things I was wondering about was, if you were to compare this increased rate of, uh, of heart defects in babies um, in these oil and gas, by these oil and gas wells, how does that compare to somewhere like Los Angeles where, um, you know, for years and years and years you've kind of had a smog problem or Johannesburg, South Africa where there's a lot of smog down there or maybe somewhere near a coal mine where there's a lot of air pollution. So it, are we saying, are we comparing this from um, you live near oil and gas wells, and so there's a lot of dust. There's a lot of you know stuff going in the air. We all acknowledge that. There's no denying that. Are you comparing that to babies that are kind of born, um, you know, in fresh, clean air where there's nothing around? Is it kind of outside the sea limits, or are you comparing it to other areas that would have high um, you know emissions from a lot of different things? And I think that's kind of important because if you're saying that. Compared to a heavily, whatever the most, you know, some, whatever the smoggiest, I don't know, most smog, whatever the word is there, uh, the most smog uh, city in the world or near a coal mine. If you're saying, hey, the heart, the um, the heart, the heart defects are higher than those areas, then we do need to step back and go, okay, this is, we're kind of comparing apples to apples. If you're comparing it to kind of an, uh, a suburban city, then I don't think that's a necessary apples to apples comparison. It is important to note, but it's not necessarily, um, the most important factor that I would want to, I would want to know. I want to know how it compares to other areas where you would expect to have a lot of emissions. The other thing is, you know, when you look at these studies, and, and I don't again can't speak to all of this one. It's it's a lot of if you if the listeners are listening, there's a lot of um, a lot of jargon in there. Um, but the other thing is, usually in my experience, Josh, when I've looked at these studies that that, that, that track human um, activity, whether it's a diet related, uh, related or, or health related, they usually do not factor in a lot of variables on human activity. So they might not be tracking, you know, alcohol consumption, drug use, exercising. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of things, if you think about the differences between Josh and I, um, or us, me and a listener, there's a lot of different things that we're doing on a daily basis that will impact how we live our lives. And so when you, when you bring that into these studies, I don't know how much, um, how deep they're going. If I read correctly, it's only five things that they're actually studying, which was, um, I can't find it now. It's um, on sex, maternal smoking, race, and ethnicity um, were the four things, I guess it was. Um, Let's see, one, two, three, four. Yeah. So, you know, maternal smoking, obviously something you want to factor in there, but I don't know if they're alcohol consumption, drug use, Exercise, and I don't know how those things play into birthing defects in general. But I'm saying if you're not tracking those things, then those things could be going on um, in these people as well. So it's it's important. I'm glad we put it up. People need to go. They need to, they need to read it. And I think it's good for us to read this. Go okay. There could be a problem here. Now we just need to ask more questions to figure out: Is this actually something to be concerned with, or is it just um, kind of a, like you're saying a, a potential hit job? Yeah, and that that's. Uh I think one of the one of the main reasons I wanted to bring it to the attention of some of the listeners is this uh, this bill that they're trying to propose in Colorado. I don't think we've seen the end of it. Um, 
I imagine that the next election cycle, we're going to see something similar come up and, and understanding that this is going to be the direction that certain uh, groups want to take the country and want to take energy in general. It's good for us to know what, what they're using and what um, right or wrong, true or false, what they're doing and what they're saying is the case. And, and uh, I, I think you made great points there, Ron, just about different different uh, criteria that need to be included in studies. You know, if, if you even if you did something like studies about folks that live close to um, hospitals and you did studies about that everywhere. You may find that the people that live closer to hospitals have higher levels of something. That doesn't indicate stress. Yeah, they might be, but because they hear the ambulance all the time. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, ambulance is right. there. You, you're you're right next to the hospital, which is going to be very busy areas. Typically, you don't have, you know, um, peaceful neighborhoods that are safe and secluded next to hospitals, right? So usually that's going to be further away. So there's all sorts of things that are included being near a hospital that don't indicate, you know, socio socioeconomic status and all these other factors that play into location where you're where you're at i mean even if you're by an oil and gas well chances are you're not going to be at the highest end of the city you know where you know more expensive houses are and stuff like that so there's all sorts of stuff that you you, yeah, you need and, and i think you're i think that's right josh and and it's it's easy to acknowledge that if they're driving up down them well roads and there there's dust and there's diesel that that it's it's not that we were saying we don't believe that that could cause some kind of problem that health problem that that's i could definitely see an, an adult um, living next to a dusty road having allergy problems or something like that. So could it have impacts on um, on um, on babies being born and you know, defects. And I think that's I think it's reasonable to assume that there could be something behind this. I think it's also reasonable to presume that maybe the study that go far enough to help us because as we said before on the show over and over again, if there is something that is um, that the industry is doing that's harmful, we want to try to fix that. Uh, I think all we're saying is, is that when you look at these studies, it, it probably doesn't go far enough to actually answer those questions. Well, uh, there's a article that came out uh, that talks about New Mexico state setting oil production record. So uh, New Mexico produced nearly 246 million barrels of oil in 2018, which was up 40 percent from the previous year. So no, no surprise here. New Mexico has been pretty hot with oil production. Uh, they are... Uh, it was 86 million barrels in 2012, so you can see 246 million uh, last year. And just the, the productivity that's coming in the state is bringing all sorts of financial success, all sorts of financial success to the state. And it's just great overall for New Mexico. I think um, it, it's, it's good to see this. They make a couple of comments here, no signs of it abating. Uh, New Mexico is still, still going pretty strong as far as I can tell this year, Ron. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, no, it's 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 good, good for New Mexico. Um, a lot of tax dollars being generated in New Mexico, so I'm sure the government's uh, yeah, they, definitely happy about that. Uh, third from the bottom paragraph, the fracking boom leaves the state in the happy position of deciding what to do with the one billion plus budget surplus, which is a direct consequence of oil and gas development. So we, uh, you know, there's a lot more money than that put in, but there's actually a one billion dollar surplus. And given that, this, uh, this, this writer says that uh, it remains a relatively poor state, and it's unfortunate the state government seems to want to look the oil and gas gift horse in the mouth by pursuing fantasies like 100% renewable goals. So 
um, definitely some frustration on the writer's part. It's just your friendly reminder that we're ran by idiots. That's just yeah. <laughs> it's just your friendly reminder that we're ran by idiots. Yeah, I've seen some of those, and I don't follow the New Mexico uh, political scene kind of like I do here in Texas, but I've seen some of the stuff there, and I'm sure you got some listeners who follow a little closer. And it's 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 weird. It's like, man, um, you guys really don't. It, again, from an outsider's perspective, we've got a listener that can hit us up on the show, but it, it's really weird. It does seem like they, they're they almost frustrated with the industry, and I'm sure there's some legitimate complaints that the industry's done some stuff that could be frustrating uh, to, to frustrate them, but it's like Kid Nine, you know, a billion-dollar surplus. Um, not to count all the jobs that are being created, um, all the revenue that's coming in, so it's... Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. Uh, last thing, Ron, for the roundup, uh, Japan's Osaka Gas is set to buy Sabine Oil for $610 million. So this is a Japanese company, Osaka. It said today that it's going to buy the U.S. Shell Sabine Oil and Gas uh, for $610 million. And I believe Sabine owns 175,000 net acres in East Texas, 1,200 wells, which produce $1.7 million tons of shale gas so uh interesting to see what what some of these foreign companies are, are looking to do here in texas something definitely to try yeah, you know last week we had the story about the chinese with the longest uh longest lateral, lateral and this week we got a japanese company buying sabine oil so there we go all right we have a special guest on today this is mr ted hall he's with kairos ted we appreciate you coming on the show today man glad to have you Hey guys, thanks for having me. Great. So you are a senior market analyst at Kairos. Um, so kind of walk us through. We're gonna talk about the ducks, we know, but what does a senior market analyst do? What all services do you guys kind of offer? Because um, you're at least for this show, we haven't talked about you guys a lot. So uh, thirty thousand foot. Who are you guys, and what do you do there? Before we get into the the duck discussion. Sure. So uh, Kairos is a, a tech company. So it's two, two very separate questions. So Kairos is a tech company uh, that creates alternative data sets using new technologies. So as far as the oil market's concerned, uh, we're using satellite data, geolocation data to create empirical data sets to, to track what's going on in the market. And so what that means for me as a market analyst focused on the oil market is I take those data sets and help customers understand what, what we're looking at and help generate stories from that. Okay. And so last week there was a story that came out about the ducks or lack thereof ducks, some might say. So let's kind of set the table like this. First off, what is the normal methodology when people are talking about the ducks that they are referring to, that they're looking at? So when they look at the duck data from the EIA, how does that data uh, get to the EIA and how is it reported? And then what are you guys looking at and what are you guys saying that's different from what uh, the API or the, the EIA might be saying? Right. So my understanding, at least uh, as far as how the EIA approaches this, is they're using Frac Focus as their main source. So they scrape that data from Frac Focus to build up their drilling and completion information. So the problem with that is uh, the reporting of Frac Focus is relatively lagged. So as the EIA continues to get in more drilling information, but not enough completions information, it creates this artificial duck inventory. So the difference between what they do and what we do, so they're scraping frac focus and that's the end of the line that's what they then they build analysis around that for us that's our starting point so we scrape frac focus drilling permits 
uh, data from the state and railroad commission. And we start, that's when we start monitoring. So we, we scrape the permits, we know where to start monitoring. So using satellites, we get a couple reads a week uh, with optical and radar satellites. So they'll pass over a well site. We're monitoring more than 75,000 permitted well locations every single month. So we'll see the pad get cleared. We'll see the drilling rig arrive on site. We'll see it leave. That's when we mark it, a drilled and completed well. And then we'll see the frack crews arrive and we'll mark that completed in progress. And we see the frack pumps leave. And that's when we mark it a completed well. So the methodology is pretty simple, but uh, it provides a real-time look at what's going on in the oil patch. Okay, and this morning I actually got tagged on a post um, with someone from your company, and there were some questions on there, so we'll kind of touch on that. One of the things that has brought up a couple times was um, on the multi-pads. How are y'all handling those? Because I think there was some question about um, are you able to actually capture the multi-pad um, uh, data as accurately as maybe a single drill? Sure. So that's actually the, the biggest assumption that goes into this is around timing. So while we can measure, it's almost a binary indicator whether whether there's frac pumps on site or not. Uh, that's that's where we have to determine based on how long the fracks have been on site, how many wells they've completed. So so say the say the frac crew's been on. So we know they drilled ten wells. Uh, we know per, well, we know ten wells are permitted. We know they've been long enough to drill ten wells. So the frac pumps arrive on site. We're we're counting based on historical data, historical completion efficiency how long it's going to take them to complete those wells. So if they're on the site long enough to complete all 10, then we'll mark all 10 completed. But they're on there half the time it would take, we we would estimate five. So that that is the most likely source of error if we have any. But we've determined we have roughly a 98% accuracy on those. Okay. And so let's just, just help me understand here. So let's just set the table. Essentially, you're saying that if it's, um, we'll, we'll use false numbers here to keep the math easy. Uh, there's 10, there's 10 potential spots on one, on one pad. Um, and that takes a month to do. They're out there two weeks. So you know that there's a two week, there should be out there two weeks longer. So therefore, theoretically, four to six, five, some of that range is what they did. Um, then uh, how do you monitor that to see when those next five are captured? Is it just uh, you're, you're running an algorithm on top of the imagery as it's going over that well pad for now until whenever it's captured? Or how do you make sure that you, you get those next five when they're, when they're done? Well, that's, that's where we, we're, we're continuously monitoring all, everything that's going into frac focus, everything that's going to the state. So if we see something okay. different show up in the data, we will adjust our data set. Um, so most of the time that's validated. Uh, sometimes the APIs, like which which particular well out of the ten permitted, might be different. So we might have to adjust the actual number we've assigned. But anyone any anyone monitoring the patch from an operator perspective or from a larger commodity perspective, that's usually not a huge deal. Um, okay. But but yeah, we're we're constantly pulling in the data. I mean, that's the starting point for everything, all the analysis we're doing. So if we see a change, we we change it. But that's usually pretty small. Okay. And then let me just backtrack to something you said about frac focus. If I'm understanding the kind of the, the frac focus thing is, is you're, on some level, it sounds like you're saying that frac focus is right, but the time at with the, 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 the time in which they're right may be further back in history and you guys are a lot closer to real time. Is that kind of what you're distinguishing yourselves from uh, frac focus? It seemed, we, that's what, so that's what we thought. So when we started building this product, we had, we had, this was an idea that came from our uh, equity trading customers. They just wanted a better idea faster about what operators were doing. Uh, but that was the big surprise. And we actually got into the data. It looked like some of them, especially, especially smaller, especially private operators, weren't reporting at all. So it, it remains to be So most of our study, at least what you saw publicly, was about 2018 data. So it remains mm-hmm. to be seen whether they eventually are going to report those to, to frac focus. We've seen 
an increase in reporting uh, on the Railroad Commission since we first started studying this back in February, uh, but frack focus is still pretty lag. So it looks like they're not reporting at all. So if you're, especially if you're looking at an aggregate standpoint, like the actual level of activity in the basin, that it looks like it's vastly unreported, which is why you get the inflated duck numbers. But on an individual operator standpoint, if you're if you're looking at a single operator trying to monitor what they're doing, uh, most publicly traded, especially larger operators, are reporting pretty faithfully to frack focus. Now, not within a not within a reasonable time frame, which is why this still has value if you're studying these names. But but they are they are reporting faithfully, and they and they and they're always report faithfully to the SEC. Okay, that's great because that's one of the questions I wanted to ask specifically was about um, investors or you know people who are following these companies that are publicly traded, how that's being reported. So, if you take the data, now obviously all these companies that are drilling in the Permian Basin aren't publicly traded companies, but a large percentage of the of the main drillers are publicly traded. Could you not just take that data and um, compare it to your data to see? How, or maybe it's one of your checks is, are you just taking that data from a Pioneer, from an Exxon or XTO, or whatever, um, or an Apache, and then com- kind of comparing it to your data to see if it lines up? Um, or do you run your analysis and then kind of use that as a check? Because there's, you know, there's two different ways to look at how you could do that uh, interpretation of the data there. So as we were developing the product, the early validations we did were around what was being reported reported to the states and frac focus. So, you know, that especially it, when you're building something in hindsight, you don't have to worry about timeliness. So we take this historical well completion data and then validate that against what we we're seeing in, in satellite imagery. Um, so if but to those validations, again, exactly like you said, those are those are big, big publicly traded operators that are reporting faithfully to frack focus, faithfully to states and faithfully to the SEC. But when we started applying that across the basin, we're, we're seeing every single public and private well. When we started applying that broadly across the basin to every well drilled and completed, that's when we started to see the inconsistencies, especially among small private operators. So, if I'm following all of this, and it's kind of a, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot to put together, and I hope uh, I'm sure the listeners will have a lot of things to go. Ryan, you missed this, but I'm trying to trying to put together the best I can here. Um, if I'm following along here, it, it sounds like what, what I'm hearing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that uh, if you were to just sit down and listen to quarterly calls, read SEC filings from a pioneer, we'll, just, we'll use pioneer. They're not specifically, just to be clear, there's no, some, I'm just picking that up as a random name. So you, if you follow pioneer, pioneer is for the most part, uh, or company X, we'll call them, is faithfully reporting to the SEC and to their investors what's going on. However, um, because of the lag of the data that they turn into frack focus um, and other agencies, that you, you have conflicting data. So if someone were to sit down without the satellite imagery, this would be kind of where I'm getting at, without the satellite imagery and just went to the publicly traded companies and, and, and read their reports and compared that to the the frac focus and other agencies, there would be some discrepancy there. Maybe not as much as what you guys are reporting, but that alone would show um, some discrepancy just to validate. So that would be a separate validation of what you guys are saying without your data as all. Is that correct? Yeah, for, for the most part, publicly traded company X is reporting faithfully, and it's in the SEC. They're reporting faithfully in their company guidance. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what the the biggest deltas, and this is across the board, especially in the when we're talking the shorter term, come in, in exactly that, exactly with reporting to frac focus and and to the states. So anyone who's mod, like if you if you're trading company X, then you care about what they're doing in the meantime. Right. And if you and a lot of a lot of the the customers we talked to, a lot of the traders in New York, equity traders, that's what they were using. They now they knew the, they most of them knew that the reporting was lagged, they knew it was incomplete, but they felt like they were they had enough to guess when when it was wrong. 
And what we've discovered is that that may not be the case. And there are, there are a few examples and I can't name names. Sure. A few examples of larger publicly traded companies that aren't reporting faithfully uh, on a quarterly bit. Now they are reporting to the SEC. They're not doing anything, um, you know, too sketchy, but they, um, but they're not reporting to frack focus in a timely manner at all. Okay. So let's break those down. We've, we've named off three different agencies. We've kind of, um, with one, we've kind of thrown out a kind of a very wide net. So you've got the SEC, you've got frack focus, and you've got kind of other state and local government agencies. You said, why is it that SEC is getting the, the, the best data, the most accurate data, the most current data, whereas frack focus and these state and local agencies aren't getting that? Is it, um, the regulations aren't, aren't as strict? Is it the punishments not as severe? Whereas the SEC could come in and kind of lay the hammer on you. What is it about the SEC that makes them get the best data? I mean, well, all, all we can do is speculate about the reasons why operators aren't reporting faithfully, but I, I think the it's clear it's clear that misleading the SEC is a really big deal, and that it makes sense to me that they wouldn't do that. And again, we, we don't think operators are doing anything nefarious. It just seems to be that the the cost of and this and this is why it correlates with smaller producers. The cost of compliance is seems to be much greater than the cost of of, mis- of, of failing to report. So if if frack fo- frac focus doesn't have any enforcement power, if the state commissions don't don't enforce, uh, you know, even if they wait two years to report, if there's no enforcement mechanism, um, then if you uh, why would you report? Especially if you have no if you're not publicly traded, you don't have any kind of um, you know headline risk with with not reporting. Okay. Um, let's see here. Let's kind of go back into uh, the the data just a little bit. You you say in and I don't remember which where I, where I saw this at. I've got three different articles from stuff that's going on from last week. Uh, but there was a quote, or uh, or at least I think it was a quote from you guys that said that basically that you, if you just take the duck number and the debate over that out of the equation, you do affirm, if I remember correctly, the the volume, if you will. So the amount of oil that we're saying that's on the market is actually there. It's just that it's taking more wells to get it there than was previously thought. Is that correct? Exactly. So ev- everything we see in, in production numbers out of BIA and eventually out of the state, the, the, the state reporting is still pretty lag. But everything you see in the, the EIA monthly, those revisions are only, you know, maybe 10,000 barrels a day every month. So, so production numbers we think are correct. It's this is really just when we step back and study, you know, what productivity per well on a basin level, uh, those numbers are 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 way off uh, because exactly because the EIA is using the frac focus data to determine those numbers. So, how much does this impact the cost to produce a, a, a barrel hole or to, to drill a well or the various things that go in with this? Because some, you know, there, if if, it, if you're saying that there's more wells that are actually being drilled than we thought, um, that could you know actually mean that it's costing more to do this um, this shale basin in the per, uh, the Permian Basin exploration than we previously thought. Well, I mean, on a per well basis, it doesn't change anything. It's still to to get the frac pumps in there and to get the crews in there that that costs the same. Right. But as analysts looking at at an on an aggregate level of of a basin, yeah, it's it. If you're using a publicly available completion number to determine the amount of capex that was put into that basin to get that production number, you're you're going to be way off. You know, your your assumption of the cost per well is going to be really underestimated. And so, how let's just take that. So, um, how close is your data? 
do you guys would believe to what the actual number is? So obviously you're not monitoring every drill, uh, pad in, in the Permian uh, on a second by second basis. Um, and then once you get the data, you got to analyze it and figure out what it means and all this stuff. So, um, you know, how far is, so we said that there's a, a severe lag with frac focus in the government agencies. Um, the SEC is pretty close, but it's not all encompassing. You guys are trying to package all that together. Um, so how close do you think your guys' data is to the real time? Uh, it's, I mean, it's spectacularly close. It's, it's really, it's amazingly good. When I came, so I, I, I came from EOG originally. So I was running market analysis at EOG and our biggest, our holy grail about trying to figure out production forecasting was getting a good completions number and it just didn't exist. Um, so uh, when they came to me with this product, it was, it was just a slam dunk uh, as far as, as far as making analysis better. So with the, our methodology, we're monitoring every single permitted well site in the basins we cover. So we're really not missing anything. Uh, a misfiled permit, that could be a miss, but that's exceedingly rare. So when it comes down to how close we are to reality, we've determined, and, and this is based on historical frac focus and state commission data, we have roughly 98% accuracy on, on well completions. So it, it really is as, as good as it could possibly get. And the only thing that we could, we could just get faster. Uh, right now we release our completions numbers two weeks after the end of the month. Okay. Um, so one more question, just kind of step back from the Permian. On the report that I'm looking at you guys sent over to us, thank you for that, by the way. I see the Williston, Anadarko, DJ, Eagle Ford, and the Permian are all listed here on uh, Monthly Horizons Completed Wells by Basin prior 12 months is uh, figure one, is the chart for reference. Um, what are you seeing outside the Permian? Or is the outside the Permian data the, is the same? Is it the, the same percentage of uh, maybe lapses or, or not necessarily the same problems? You're not seeing the same issues. Um, let's just talk just at a high level at these other plays in basins. Um, what are you guys seeing there? Sure. I, I think activity across in aggregate is pretty flat year on year, uh, which to, to get, you know, not not big production growth numbers, but pretty substantial is, is impressive. And I think it speaks to the efficiency of the wells. Um, in the Eagleford, we've seen some declines. Um, and Oklahoma has been really noisy. We saw we saw it stay pretty stable, and then it fell off pretty quickly in a single month. Um, but but across the basins, in, on a month to month basis, it's actually pretty noisy. Um, so, but as far as trends go, we see we see completions are pretty flat year on year across the board. Okay. So, final thing for you, and now I, I, I want to ask this as, as nicely as I can, but I think it's I think we need to, we, I think we need to ask it because before we when we started looking at having you guys on, we asked some other people about their opinion, and they said, "Hey, this is a PR grab. This is a company that's trying to get their name out there." You were gracious enough to come on, answer our questions. Obviously, there's probably other questions that we didn't get to, but I want you to kind of set set the tone for people who might go, you know what, this is a company trying to get their name out there. They're trying to sell data and they're trying to make a big splash. What would you say to people who think that this is just a, uh, a PR, a PR grab, if you will? I would, I would hope that they'd reach out to us and look at the data. It's, it is something we would stand behind. It's something that, you know, uh, when Andrew Gould went to the press with this, with our, with our press release, uh, he was, he was the biggest critic and he held our, our feet to the fire about what we were putting out and made us double and triple check everything we were doing. Uh, but it's something that I would stand behind. It's it, it, What we're doing is different. And at, anyone else talking about completions at, at best is making an estimate about in at least what's happening today. And we're taking actual photos, taking actual measurements, what's going on in the basin. So, um, I mean, obviously, like, this is a good way to get attention and to get people to call us. Um, but if any doubters, feel free to reach out because we've, we've, we've got the data to back it up. 
Okay. And just for the record, you guys have been very gracious in coming on and sending us uh, some of the information to look at. Obviously, nothing too, too classified or top secret, but we do appreciate that. We do appreciate you coming on. There were no restrictions on things that we couldn't ask or things like that. And that's at least a good sign of transparency from our standpoint is that you didn't say, hey, don't ask about this or don't mention this. And so we, we do appreciate that. We appreciate the time. Where can folks, if they want to check out this data, they want to maybe uh, talk to you guys about what the data sets you have or whatever, how do they reach out to you? Uh, for consultation or whatever the process is, but why don't you go ahead and lay that out for folks, Ted? Yeah, sure. They can they can come to us at, on our website. That's probably the easiest way, Kairos.com. Uh, Kairos is K-A-Y-R-R-O-S. Not, not everyone always gets that right. Um, and they can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Ted Hall. So that's that's a pretty way, easy way to do it. And beyond well completions, uh, we, we started out doing storage monitoring. So we monitor 90% of floating roof storage capacity in the world. Uh, we have week-on-week Cushing monitoring. Uh, we monitor refinery outages, uh, flaring in OPEC countries. Uh, we, we're, we're really, our coverage in the oil market's really broad. So if you're trading the market at an equity or commodity level, feel free to reach out. Okay. And thanks again for coming on. We will link to you the website again, which is kairos.com. That's K-A-Y-R-R-O-S.com. Link to that in the show notes for folks to get um, to get in there and connect with you guys. I'm sure we'll have... Some questions and comments about this episode uh, because it is kind of a culture shock, and I think people are definitely going to want to look through the data themselves, or you know, go back and look at the SEC data versus frac focus and the other government stuff, and kind of at least validate what you're saying on some of that level. And I think that's a great starting spot for some listeners just, just to go and um, compare some of that data to see. Um, what's going on there and then obviously reach out to you guys so Ted thank you so much we hope to have you on again in the future to talk more about uh, this issue or whatever else is going on so thank you for your time today sir anytime thanks guys well big thanks to Ted Hall for coming on the show today uh, discussing the Ducks great conversation really appreciate him taking time to join us today Ryan with that I think uh, I think that wraps us up for today man Yep, and I've said before, you know, I'm kind of a duck agnostic. I'm not really sure what to think about all this stuff, but I'm curious what the listeners think. The ducks seem to get folks you know, fired up when, you talk, when we talk about the ducks. So 318-599-9192, 318-599-9192. You can send us a text or leave us a voicemail um, or com. You can go on there and send us a note. Yeah, good stuff, and we'll be sure to – I'm sure there'll be plenty more discussion about it. We've reached out to Drilling Info. Hopefully they will come on at some point. And talk about it, or um, I don't know who else. Maybe the uh, you know some of the group would want to come talk about the ducks. It's uh, it's definitely got a lot of traction though. So thanks again to the listeners. Earlier we said Nate might not have the show out this week. He got mad at me and claimed that he would quit if I quit harassing him publicly on the podcast. So Nate will have the podcast out speedily, quickly. Vitally importantly, I don't know any other words to say. So Nate will be on his job this week, doing it well for once. It'll be nice to see that. So we're excited to see Nate do his job. And until next time, keep climbing.